I'm joined today by a fellow endurance junkie that happens to be a neighbor back in Oregon, Mitch Thompson, a former professional mountain biker, still showing the mountains on foot, skis, and wheels, despite a battle with a life-threatening condition. Well, Mitch, I appreciate you joining me today. How is it going? It's going well. Glad to be here, man. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Yes, sir. Well, we're going to start off with the quote of the day. Let me know if this quote sounds familiar. He climbs volcanoes like Spider-Man, scales a burning skyscraper to rescue a damsel in distress at the top. He does not take the time to soak in his surroundings. He just wants to reach the summit as fast as possible, then move on to his next chance. Do you recognize <laughs> that quote? Yeah, sure do. That's uh, that's uh, Mark Morcal, uh from an interview with him after... Uh, doing the uh, three sisters traverse yes sir yeah if i was uh reading reading that article in preparation for this and thought that was a pretty cool quote and yeah we'll we'll definitely jump into that three sisters traverse um later in this podcast but for now um if you want to rewind a little bit back to north carolina uh, as far as i know you were raised in north carolina and how was that and how was the door opened into adventure sports for you? Um, so yeah, I, uh, I grew up in Carolina, um, and, uh, I'd have to blame my parents for getting me, uh, going at an early age into the, uh, outdoor adventuring. Um, we did a lot of, uh, a lot of hunting and fishing growing up and uh, a lot of camping. I, uh, I probably used up a few of my nine lives on uh, on a few fishing trips um, with my parents. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I definitely uh, give them credit for that. Uh, they both um, grew up uh, hunting and fishing and got me into that at an early age. And uh, of course, uh, got me my first bike and, uh, you know, uh, supported me uh, in 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 all of my athletic endeavors at a young age. So yeah, I got to give a big thanks to them for that. Sure. Yeah. Getting your first bike and the rest is history. That's, that's pretty sweet. And also pulled another quote here. You, you might remember from an article. Uh, this goes living in the hills of Western North Carolina in 84 Thompson remembers using wood screws to secure his bindings to his water ski esque board, a Chuck Barfoot original. And on his feet, he wore leather hiking boots. What do you remember about that setup? And does any part of you now want to try that setup as compared to the modern ski setup? Yeah, I definitely, uh, I definitely remember that setup. And um, it, it, uh, I had uh, that Chris Barfoot board uh, I got from a friend of mine and uh, used uh, had some old Mindel. Um, hiking boots that I used for my snowboarding boots to start with. And, uh, I also distinctly remember those guys setting me up goofy foot on that board. Um, even though I am definitely, uh, learned later that I definitely ride left foot forward, not right foot forward, but, uh, okay. they all got a good laugh out. Everybody got a good laugh out of that, except me. Cause I, I, I definitely, uh, spent a little bit of time floundering around in the wrong uh, in the wrong stance on the snowboard to start with but um once it got that straightened up um you know it was uh we don't have the you know didn't 
don't have the the elevation and snow that you get at the western resorts, but um, for that far south on the east coast, um, we actually had great skiing and boarding. Um, my home hill would have been Beach Mountain, and uh, the base elevation is just over 5,000, and it's got like 1,150 vertical foot drop. Yeah. So, you know, it was a, it actually was a decent little resort to uh, to learn how to ski and board, and, and we even got the occasional backcountry day, uh, you know, when we would get a heavy snow. So, um, you know, we... We made we made the best of uh, of what we had out there, and by the time I got out west, um, I def you know I had a I had a pretty pretty uh, pretty good grasp on the skiing and boarding, so I was I was ready for the west coast when it happened. Yep, for sure. Well, yeah, it sounds like you made the most of being out there on the east. Um, and yeah, back on the bike. When was your first ride or run where you said, "Man, this is fun." And I want to do this more. Yeah, so um, I got, you know, I started out on the bike, of course, uh, with a BMX bike. Yeah, <laughs> okay. And um, you know, we had, uh, I know, we had our little our little crew going with that, and um, eventually uh, I moved on to you know something that you could pedal further, faster, um, a road bike. I got my first mountain bike. Um, when I lived in Boulder, Colorado, and it was a, uh, it was the old specialized, uh, red, white, and blue rock hopper comp. Okay. And, um, at that point I was living, uh, in, up at the top of a place called Gold Hill, about, uh, 17, 18 miles up above Boulder toward Rocky Mountain National Park. And so, you know, I, I started riding the the old rock hopper on uh, some of the trails and stuff out of the house where I lived there. And, and that was definitely where I, I got immediately hooked on the mountain bike and, and just really loved being able to, uh, you know, to get out and just see more ter- more terrain faster and, yeah. uh, and, and stuff on the bike. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Um, coming from running, getting on the bikes you know you can put in an hour and see 15 new miles of trail whereas on your feet you can maybe get up to 10 miles or so and my uh dad he had the rock hopper he had the stump jumper and um, i'm glad i got to experience those first style mountain bikes um as compared to now when we're all spoiled now on what we have um yeah right right it's uh it really is amazing what uh what's what's happened with the biking i mean you know we always fantasized literally about you know one day there'll be full suspension bikes you know uh, and and that was that was coming from a time period where there wasn't even front suspension yet yeah um i actually um i i got i went to a race early on um i was racing on a Gary Fisher super caliber was my first quality race bike. And I went to, uh, one of the Virginia state series, um, races and, uh, it was, uh, they still have that one. It's called the dragon's back. Okay. And right before the race, Gunnar Schrogan, who was the, uh, pro rider for, um, diamond back 
Um, he was the second man in line behind Dave Weeds. And he gave me a pair of the of original prototype Shimano SPD pedals and was like, hey, check these things out. So um, I, I was still racing on, I you know, everybody else was still on toe clips. Um, and so, man, I threw those things on there and uh, he set me up with a pair of shoes. And, and I proceeded to, to cramp up my calves halfway through the race, of course, because, I mean, you know, we, uh, we, we didn't have any idea what a step-in pedal was, but it, it definitely worked. Uh, it worked out different muscles in your leg. <laughs> it was amazing, but, uh, but I totally cramped up halfway through the race. Um, but that was kind of cool because that was one of the, you know, like getting an original innovative piece of equipment at that point in time you know, was, was pretty cool kind of looking back on it, you yep. know, and just seeing from there, the evolution of what we have now. I mean, it's, it really, it, it is, it's just, uh, the, the bike I ride now, I mean, my gosh, if I had that bike back in, in the day, you know, you're just like, oh man, the stuff right. you could have done, you know? Yep. Definitely been cool to see the progression there, but I'll, I'll tell you what, one thing I've never fantasized about is all those e-bikers out in the trail, um, that definitely is not fun to deal with. Um, and, you know, they're good for a certain population, but it does seem like they're being almost abused nowadays here in 2024. Oh, yeah, it's going to be, a, the, the, you know, the e-bike thing's going to, who knows where that's all going to end up. Um, you know, they'll they'll have to suss some of that stuff out in the courts, I think, as far as, you know, what, what's considered a motorized vehicle and exactly what and where you can ride it or not ride it. Um, I mean, you know, obviously I'm seeing plenty of people on e-bikes on all the single track around and, um, you know, I, I, I have, um, my buddy, Justin James long, um, over in Eugene, his wife, um, Lizzie, has actually been lobbying to allow a certain faction of people to be able to ride e-bikes on on trails um because she's got a heart condition and she can't she has to keep her heart below a certain rate or she'll go she goes into an arrhythmia and then gets she's got a, a cardiac implant that'll shock her back okay. in, into the right rhythm um and, you know, she was a former really, really good um, ultra runner. And and the e-bike has definitely, like, changed things for her and allowed her to get out and 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 go to the places that she always went to and, and then couldn't. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I've, I'm certainly one of those that I'm, I, I got no problem making exceptions for, for certain people and stuff, but... You know, if you're if you're an able-bodied person, I'm kind of like, man, just pedal like the rest of us, right? Yeah, her example there with the heart condition—that's that's the perfect example of when an e-bike should be utilized. Um, yeah, yeah, and and of course, you know, she follows all the all the other normal rules and stuff uh, that that you should when you're out biking on a trail that's a multi-use trail and and stuff. So. Um, yeah, so no, but but uh, it will be interesting, man, uh, to see how that little battle plays out. Yep. Well, 
bringing it back to your professional mountain bike career, how did you make your way into the pro mountain bike scene and what was the toughest part of that lifestyle and the most enjoyable part? Um, so it was, it was a really easy transition for me into the mountain bike racing, um, because I loved riding so much that I was logging, you know, I was logging 20, 25 hours a week of, of hard riding wow. and, uh, without anybody offering me anything, you know, <laughs> I spent, spending my own time and money doing it, um, yeah. just because I loved it so much. So, uh, I kind of came in with tons of fitness and skill immediately. Um, I went to my, my first race was a West Virginia, um, state series race. And I, you know, I, I immediately loved it. We had a, a group of friends and, and, and of course my wife, Janelle, she was going to the races with us and, you know, we were all racing and it was a really, it was a super fun scene back there. Um, there was lots of, uh, lots of good camaraderie and, mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was like, it was, it was kind of, it, that was the heyday of cross country racing when you had people going, it wasn't for spectators. It was for, for hardcore riders, you know, all the races were big giant loops way out in the mountains. And, um, you know, these days it's kind of turned into doing, you know, doing a bunch of laps, um, and little short laps so that it's easy for the spectators and stuff. And, and, I, and, and also the races were always longer back then. Like your average, if, if the race wasn't two and a half hours long, it would we you know, nobody would even look at it. Mm -hmm. Um, so the, that was the part I enjoyed the most about it was it gave me support and a way to go and see all these other places and ride all these other trails, mm -hmm. um, and, and a reason to do it. Um, and the thing I would say that the thing I liked least about it was, you know, I think the thing I liked least about it in the end was the scene, the, the racing scene changed, you know, toward the later years. Um, it kind of turned it. I think that the money and 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 the industry behind the sport started driving it and kind of mm -hmm. um, put a lot of it put a lot of restraints on it at that point and kind of took the fun out of it. Yeah, you know where to start with it was you know nothing was USA cycling sanctioned and it was just you know some local dude that lived in the area that you know rode his bike a bunch and you know, had a great trail and was like, Hey, let's have a race on it, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think toward the end when, you know, when it became more popular and there was money to be made that, you know, then in comes all of the rules and regulations that, that, um, that to me took, took a little bit of the, the fun out of it. Okay. That's, that's interesting. It seems it, 
what once was a pure sport, which is a, a bunch of guys riding their bikes. Yeah, like you said, just kind of got commercialized and turned into more of a, a business in a way. That's that's interesting. And well, in your career, what would you say your greatest achievements and takeaways are? Um, so let's see here. Um, you know, I, I think one of my, uh, one of my proudest results, well, I I got two results that I'm real proud of beyond, you know, beyond all of the, uh, kind of the more, um, regionalized races on like a, on like a big level, um, was, uh, I think beating uh winning what one of the dirt crits at the cactus cup and uh i beat uh ned overend steve tilford and tinker juarez um across the finish line for that one gotcha. and uh that's certainly one of my my proudest re- results for sure i got a there's a i got a picture of me coming across the finish line and ned overend's like 20 feet behind me <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, I like that one, man. That was that that was a good one. Sweet. And then towards the end of your career, when was it time to step out of the pro scene? You know, I always I always said that I would quit racing at forty. Okay. And that was just that was just a number that I had in my in, in my head. Um, that if I was still racing at 40, that I would, that I would stop at that point, which I completely followed through on. Um, and I raced, uh, I raced the, the pro class up until then, you know, I never wanted to, I wasn't interested in, in racing age group stuff, never, never did. And, um, and, you know, just was like, man, at, at, at the point at which I got to start going to age group stuff, then. You know, I've always kind of thought to myself and, and this isn't a knock on anybody that does, right. You know, like if that's what you want to do and, and stuff, that's, that's, I'm totally fine with all that. But for me in my head, I was like, well, but the reality is the real race is the people at the front who are the fastest, no matter what age they are. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I kind of felt like at 40, I wanted to, to stop because the racing definitely put restraints on your riding otherwise. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, like if, if you're doing races that are an hour and 45 minutes long, well then, you know, you, that's, you're going to be out training for that type of, of performance, you know, going really hard for a shorter amount of time. Um, and, and you're having to like, okay, I'm going to ride today and ride this tomorrow and ride this the next day then i got to take a day off yeah and i got to do a warm-up day and then i go free ride the course and then i do the race right um and uh and i kind of got to a point where that was that was uh getting in the way of of a lot of stuff that i wanted to go do you know (laughs) i I mean because you you know me well enough to know that i the the thing that i've always really liked is big giant hard testing long hard days in the mountains and that doesn't always correlate to good results at hour and a half mountain bike races right um so 
yeah, I, I wanted to to stop at a certain point so that I could then turn my attention to doing those those types of rides all the time whenever I wanted to seven days a week if I felt like it and yeah. uh and so yeah I think uh, and and I I I as I never missed it when I did stop and I'd never gone back and I've had people I've had offers and I've had people try to talk me into going you know and I was like man I said I was going to quit racing when I was 40 and that's exactly where I'm staying yep and you'd rather be out in the mountains for seven hours a day instead of doing a race for a pair of socks, you know, and in the master's category. Yeah. That's, I've said that myself, man. That's exactly, yep. that's exactly where I'm, where I'm at with that because that's basically what you're racing for at that point. Um, yep. you know, and, and, and I got, I, I basically got at this point, I'm like, man, I got nothing. I, I don't need that. That's not going to fulfill any, any, part of my life that I need at right. this juncture. Um, you know, and, and, uh, I definitely way more at this point, enjoy going out and just brutalizing myself all day long on, on something yeah. and, uh, and it's worked out good and yeah. I've gotten, to, yeah, getting to, you know, I'm getting to do a, a seat, do a lot of really, really, really great rides, um, because of that for sure. And what better place to do that than in Central Oregon, in Bend? Um, I knew it was, I was stoked when I learned about the uh, mysterious former pro mountain bike neighbor down the road. And it's just been awesome riding with you. Um, You know, we had the Mitch Thompson Bachelor Brick special. That's always fun. Uh, The uh, Forest Road rips. Um, Yeah, how did you end up in Bend? Um, so, uh, I ended up in Bend. Um, I was on the Thompson company, um, mountain bike racing team. And we, the guy that ran the team was, uh, based out of Boulder. And so we kind of worked that direction. Um, I ended up in Boise uh, with this, uh, with a girl that I had been dating from Macon, Georgia and, um, was in Boise for like two years. And when we broke up, um, I had a group of good friends from Carolina that were in, had just moved to Bend at that point. And, uh, and so it was, uh, it was an easy, it was an easy out for me because <laughs> yeah, uh, I didn't have any reason to stay in Boise. Uh, not that I didn't like Boise because Boise was awesome, had great, you know, great riding and great, uh, great outdoor scene there. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, I bumped over to Ben cause I had friends here and, um, yeah, kind of stayed, stayed ever since. Uh, I went back East for just a little stint and, uh, and then Janelle came back out with me after that, that stint back there and yeah, been in Bend ever since. Gotcha. And, yeah, when I was reading that article, uh, it said the first thing you did when you got into Central Oregon was climb South Sister. And that being part of the Three Sisters Traverse, I guess that can take us into in, into that. Um, I believe that's around 17 miles, 9,600 feet of vert, and covering three volcanoes. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how that became a goal for you to take that FKT? 
Yeah. So, uh, so you, you know, funny, uh, of course you, you say FKT and, and, you know, and I'm like, FKTs didn't even exist back then. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of, that's kind of the funny part about it. Um, it was something that lots of the, um, fast athletes in Bend had done like Justin Wadsworth and Ben Hughesaby, um, you know, they, I think they kind of were the first ones to to really get into to doing that type of stuff in the mountains here behind town, and um, and of course being you know I was always I I rock climbed a ton throughout my entire racing career. Um, I I always loved rock climbing. We did a lot of bouldering. I've climbed, you know, did a lot of 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 you know traditional style multi-pitch rope climbing back east and in Colorado. And then of course, you know, if it have climbed El Cap, um, done a, a first winter ascent of a route on El Cap in Yosemite. So, you know, I always loved climbing too. And you don't have that those that type of climbing here. I mean, you have Smith Rock, but you know, honestly, Smith Rock is would be called a pile of mud back east. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like the, the, it, it isn't so, you know, we had really great rock quality back there. And, and so I wasn't so much interested in clipping bolts at Smith Rock as, you know, you look at the mountains and how do you not want to go and, and, and start summiting those things, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's perfect because it combos a little bit of climbing skill with your endurance and your cardiovascular stuff. So it was really an easy an, an easy thing to be like, yeah, yeah, you know, let's start the, let's go run up South Sister and to start with you run up it and then you and then you're like, well, it's climbed the most difficult route on it and you kind of did that with each of them. And um and then at that point, you know, it was almost like the the natural it was just like a natural progression to be like, well, heck, let's try to, you know, I, I I think I heard somebody tell me Justin Wadsworth, you know, did all three of them in in, in a row. So let's go do that. And um, and that kind of uh, that kind of got things going. I had I actually one of my good friends that was here. He's no longer in Ben Tommy Chandler. Um, back at really early on, me and him went up and traversed the entire rim of Broken Top. Oh man. From one from the the northern eastern pinnacle all the way down to the southeast pinnacle, um, summiting all of the little points as we we went on it. Um, I'm saying I remember um, after I did the normal summit route, um, you were telling me about that how you traversed that whole whole ridge, and I remember I was standing up there at the summit and just looking at all the knife ridges and yeah for you to do that that's that's pretty badass it was it was definitely terrifying you know like me and tommy were both just like oh my god <laughs> i'll probably not do that again yeah. Uh, yeah but uh i don't know what what got into us to want to do that but yeah it was uh, that was definitely quite quite an adventure um yeah. but yeah that was kind of early on even before doing the the three sisters traverse and stuff um, you know, and, 
and then of course from there you just go like well let's do let's do all three of them plus broken top and bachelor why not make it five you know and and so started in with that and then uh eventually you know for a short time had the record on that with with max king mm-hmm. and um And then the coup de gras was the the AP traverse, um, starting at Jefferson, you know, and doing Jefferson three finger, Washington, North Middle, South, Broken Top Bachelor with my buddy Kendall. I mean, that was yeah, that was that was definitely the uh nobody else has even tried to take that one on, is the funny part about that one. I bet. Uh, cause that, yeah, that was a whole different beast right there than, than even doing the five, um, just logistically, it was, it's just so much more of an endeavor to, to do that one. Right. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stoked that nobody else has ever even tried it still to this day. Yeah. That should prove a point that it's pretty brutal. And that's, what's cool about just pretty much all endurance sports is, you can set a goal for yourself. You can plan this epic route and then plan a more epic route. And it just keeps getting crazier and more challenging. And that's a prime example there of continuing to kind of push the limits there. And want to bring to one of the rides we had, the uh, Into the Belly of the Beast ride you brought me on into Broken Top. Um, yeah. that, that good old 80-mile mountain bike ride. Um, and... I was looking at a picture from your Strava ride. It was you taking a selfie on top of Sheridan Butte, and I was not in that picture. Do you remember why I was not up there with? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Cut your shoe. Your shoe blew up. <laughs> yep, I got I got two words for that. That is that is Andrew's antics at its finest. Um, yeah, we were on Metolius Wendigo, and that's pretty much when all hell broke loose with the. With the double flat, you come to the rescue with the $40 latex tube, zip tie in my shoe, and it has some shifting issues. So, man, I appreciate you saving my ass on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was hilarious. But, you know, that's, once again, man, that's like, that's the beauty of, uh, of those, of those types of rides, you know, is, is like literally anything can happen. And, uh, and you learn to be really, prepared for anything and self-sufficient um and and i mean that's just like i think that's like one of the biggest things about doing rides like that um you know as opposed to like a controlled racing situation mm-hmm. because you know like at a even at like these big giant long endurance races that they have now there's you know there's always an aid station there's always somebody out there where whereas like when you go on these big adventures like we we did with that outside of the confines of a of an organized event it's like you're it you're on your own you know it's all it's all up to you there's nobody to come rescue you there's nobody to come bail you out um and so you know you gotta really learn to logistically have your shit together really well and really planned out and really well thought out, you know, so that you you can get yourself out of any situation you've gotten yourself into. Yep. And uh, and that was just a perfect example of it, you know, because the fact is that you still made it back to, you know, you still made it back. 
Yeah. Um, uh, he just didn't get to to go over Sheridan Butte, which was unfortunate after all the effort had been put in to get right. to to that one point. You know, <laughs> it was a bummer. Right. Definitely learned the uh, hard way, but not the hardest way that day. Uh, just because I was with an experienced dude who basically yeah saved my ass. So, anyways, that was an awesome adventure, and want to transition to. What is probably got to be one of the toughest trials of your life um, with your eye. What was, what's the story with um, your eye there? Um, yeah. So um, in uh, June of 2020, uh, I'd actually just gotten done with a great mountain bike ride and was uh, back in my vehicle up, looked in the rearview mirror and saw a big black pie shape. Um, splotch in the iris of my left eye. It was really easy to see at that point. I have I have blue irises, so it really stuck out, you know. And I kind of thought to myself, I was like, man, I don't recall that ever being there, um, you know. And and I I started to just kind of assume. I was like, ah, it's it's an iris tear uh, because I had gotten smacked in the side of the head by a branch dirt bike in about two weeks prior to that, and was like, maybe. I tore my iris when that happened, but I was like, you know, since I am in the medical world and have access to a really great doctor that I worked for, I, I took a picture of it and sent it to him and he, um, called me, my phone immediately rang and I, 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 I knew that was not good. That Dr. Pennick was immediately calling me about that because he's pretty much a genius and knows everything about everything when it comes to the human body and um, he told me that I needed to come in to, to work and that he had already spoke with the ophthalmologist downstairs and, and that I needed to come in and get checked, um, which I did and subsequently got told that um, I have a rare form of eye cancer called uveal melanoma and that I needed to go to Oregon Health and Science University ASAP um, to see a Dr. Allison Scallett, who is one of the nation's leading ocular oncologists, um, which I did two days. I was two days later, I was sitting in front of her and she concurred that it was eye cancer and, um, you know, basically laid out my options, which were not very good. Um, either, you know, you leave it untreated and you will die 100% deadly. Um, and then, you know, your options for treatment are remove the eye, which was what they would have done a few years prior. There wouldn't even been a discussion because they didn't have any way to treat it. And so, um, the other option was to get a, what's called a plaque radiation disc therapy where they implant a radioactive disc in your eye to kill the tumor um and hopefully still preserve your vision wow. um so you know i didn't have a lot of time it was a whirlwind because the sooner you know that you need to act on this quick i mean if this if if the cancer spreads so let's say one cell of this tumor gets out of the inner chamber of my eye and into my system, I'm dead. It's wow. if it metastasizes, 
they have no way to treat it and you will die. And uh, even with the treatment, the numbers are 75% of the people diagnosed with it are dead in four years. Wow. Treated or or not. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't really, I, I kind of felt like it, it wasn't really a choice. I was like, well, I want to, you know, I want to be able to still see out of both eyes if possible. And Dr. Scallett said that she had had good success with the disc therapy. Um, and so that's what I did. And uh, I was on the table several days later getting the disc implanted. And um, so far, so good. Uh, we are approaching the four-year mark. Um, this May, I have my four-year checkup with Dr. Scallett. Yeah. Um, and, and then, of course, as you know, there's been all sorts of ups and downs along the way. You know, you get the, you get, you treat the cancer with, with the radiation and, you know, you're, you recover from that and everything's kind of starting to look like, oh, okay, okay, things, you know, getting back in shape and, and, and stuff. And then boom, you know, you get up and I bleed. And, um, the next thing I know, I'm sitting in a chair for six months trying to get blood to clear from the eye. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was definitely one of my, one of my low, low, low points, man, was, was that I bleed. I, you know, you got to, you guys got to see that. You definitely got to see me at one of my low points. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I definitely um, have appreciated, like uh, you know, all the support I gotten from your entire family. You know, um, with all of that, I mean, it it definitely meant a lot at that time. And um, yeah, you know, hopefully, um, shit, that we got past that, and then it was the the cataract immediately blew up, and I was essentially blind again. So you know, it 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 just it just seems like. Uh, this whole thing just keeps coming at you with one thing after another, just about the time you, you're like, Oh, we're all good. It's, it's, uh, it's something else happens. And I mean, it's even right now, you know, just battling the high eye pressure. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think, uh, even talking with the docs, you know, it's, I think that, you know, high likelihood, eventually I'm going to lose the sight in that eye, um, no matter what. But at this point, you know, I'm, I've never, I've never been a quitter. I never quit a single race in my entire life. That's awesome. Um, I've finished every race that I've ever started. It doesn't matter what happened, and it doesn't matter what place I was going to come in. And so, you know, at this point, I'm treating this the same way. Uh, because of everything I've already been through with it, I will fight tooth and nail for the vision out of that eye for as, as long as I can. Yeah, yeah that's, that's very in inspiring and during that more recent downtime you had, don't want to make you think too much about it, um, but how how did you pass the time? I remember my dad was relaying some information to me. Um, you had to sleep standing up at some points and in a chair and, and things like that. How did you see the light at the end of the tunnel and pass the time through that tough time? Um, you know, once again, as... I have my entire life, you know, I always, I'm always thinking about my next adventure. Yeah. And, and even, even at those points, 
you know, all I wanted to do was get that blood in my eye cleared so I could get my ass back outside doing what I love to do. And it was just, you know, the, the, the thought of that is what keeps you going. And the experience from all of the hard, you know, adventures and stuff are what kept me going. You know, I mean, I just, I just, I knew from, from all of those adventures that when something happens, you, you deal with it as best you can, you know, like you, you, you either, you have two choices, you either quit or you deal with it. And, and so, man, I've just always chosen to deal with it. And I was looking at maps and, <laughs> and, and doing stuff, just planning my next big adventure. And as, you know, as soon as, uh, as soon as I was able to, I was, I was right back out there, man. Even, even when I still had blood in the eye and I could see a damn thing out of it. Um, you know, I was out there floundering around on my fat bike in the snow. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, but I remember your first Strava post back. I was, I was ecstatic. I was, I was so happy just to see you back out there. Whether it was on the trainer or whatever, just as long as you could get your legs moving, get your legs hurting. That was that was awesome to see. And yeah, definitely when your when your situation sucks, there you definitely didn't lose hope and prepare for the next journey and the next comeback, which is definitely some great advice and in any area of life and any challenge there, you know, you mentioned, um, taking the mentality on the bike, never dropping out of a race, never having that DNF and yeah, that this cancer is going to be no different. So that's, that's very inspiring. And thank you for sharing that story there. Um, appreciate that. Yeah. Happy to man. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a, a lot of a lot of people out there with cancer and you know it's it's uh there's always somebody worse off than you are you know um and so that's why you don't ever want to you know you don't you, you never want to waller in the self-pity that, that just it doesn't get you anywhere and man and i really also enjoyed you know uh, i you know coming from a time period when there wasn't when there were no cell phones there was no internet there wasn't any of that um it's it's strange, but you know it was it was fun looking at what all of my uh, all my my friends and stuff were still doing on Strava as well. I mean, you know, it wasn't I wasn't like jealous that they that you guys were all still out there doing doing your thing, and I wasn't getting to. It was like, you know, it was more. It was almost like you know I'd, I'd lived kind of vicariously through all of you guys at that point. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I really liked that too. That kind of kept my head in the game as well. Yep. I know what you mean there. And that's, that's probably the main reason I have Strava. I'm definitely a Strava geek, but to an extent, I think I respect the app and don't let it take control of my life. Um, and just, I, I have it for inspiration, um, to see activities like yours and others and find, find some beta on a, on a specific route or anything like that. And, inspire right. to uh get out and just recognize that the world is wide open and you just got to get out the door and pedal the legs run the legs eat the legs so that's pretty sweet and definitely in a time where i mean when you're on this planet no future is guaranteed i mean i could die in a car crash tomorrow so 
um, definitely don't want to take things for granted because you won't realize what you have and until it's gone there. So yeah, yeah, that is very true, man. When it's not until it gets taken away from you, you know that uh, that you realize just how precious all of that is. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, it's something you want to, you want to always try to, to keep yourself in check with that and just be really grateful for, you know, for everything that you've got for your, your family and your friends and your, you know, your, your abilities to, to run and ride and, and, you know, do all of that and, and nature and the mountains and just, you know, I mean, you really got to have the utmost respect for, for all of that and, um, and really appreciate each and every day that you have on, on this earth, you know? Right. Yep. Great way to close it out there. And, uh, just want to leave you off the question. What's your, what's your next adventure that you're planning? I know there's a lot of snow with the, uh, late relentless storms here in the Cascades, but once the snow melts and you're back on the bike, what's, or your feet, what's the next adventure there? So, uh, you know, I'm already thinking about those early, uh, hundred plus mile, uh, mixed rides from the house, you know, that, that are, that, that kick off, that always kick off the season. I mean, it's, uh, as soon as, uh, as soon as that stuff melts off, um, we'll start ramping up that and then, you know, and then start trying to tick off those, those hundred plus milers and, and just get, get in as good a shape, um, as quickly as possible so that, you know, you're ready for the, you're ready for the, the big, the big stuff like the double cascade, old cascade crest and, and stuff like that. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. Just hearing you talk about that. I'm definitely waiting to get on my steed as well. Um, and want to thank you again for all the help with helping me build that bike and introduce me to that titanium brand there. And I can't wait to be along for the ride when she's raging this summer. I'll be out in, out, out in Kansas City. Um, it sounds like there's some pretty cool trails that I'll be exploring, but definitely eventually want to hopefully end up out in Bend and be out there in the forest roads and the single track and out there and the beauty of nature yeah man and just keep in mind while you're you know you're in kansas city and wherever you end up with uh with your work and stuff man it's uh you know wherever you are um i think you're i think you you definitely are already seeing that you know that no matter where you are you can find some really good stuff to do outside mm-hmm. okay. so Look forward, man. Uh, hopefully, uh, look forward to, to getting out with you on the uh, on the tie bikes. Uh, paint the your your bro will be uh, he'll be the odd man out. <laughs> yeah, that's on his carbon fiber. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time this evening. Um, definitely learned a lot about uh, just your story that we didn't have time to talk about on out in our rides. So. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Andrew, I enjoyed it, man, um, as always. And, uh, yeah, wish uh, wish you the best with all your racing. And, um, yeah, just keep keep laying down those, those 
crazy freaking mile times, man. I love seeing that. <laughs> I love seeing those freaking mid 40 re retweets, man. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> it's awesome. Yes, sir. And yep, keep uh keep shredding the snow for me while it's still there. We'll do it, man. Tim right. care. Yep, have a good one. See ya.